Yeah. So in America, statistically, 70% of black people do not know how to swim. And if the parent, if another, so to be clear, y'all, that's seven zero seventy. Yeah, seven zero. And so, uh, and then also, even more daunting is that if the parent does not know how to swim, there's only a thirteen percent chance that that their, their child will learn how to swim. One, and- two. Hello, Nate. Hello, how you doing? I'm doing great. I want to get us started because I have so much to talk about. I was watching your show just now. So for everyone, Nate is the host, creator, and executive producer of Worldwide Nate. You can find it on Wondrium and they have a free 14-day trial. So check it out. Uh, But Nate, so I am from West Africa. I grew up in Sierra Leone and I moved to the U.S. for university. And I loved that you found out via Ancestry that you're also West African. You found out that you're Cameroonian <laughs> while you were in Cameroon. <laughs> yeah, that was exciting. That's so, so cool. And then, so Nate's latest installment of the show had him travel to West Africa, folks. So he went to Senegal, Ghana, and Cameroon. And I'd love to learn more about what that was like for you, just finding out about your ancestry while you were in Cameroon. Yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting because... You know, I, I took the test before we had left for the production. Right. I didn't know exactly when I would get it because they had put it on a rush. So, and then, you know, you, you don't know where you're going to be, where you're going to come from. So <laughs> it was like perfect timing to where uh, probably like four weeks into the trip, that's where, that's when we were in Cameroon. Well, three, yeah, about three, three and a half weeks in. And then to get the news and then to find out that I'm from the Balimake tribe in Cameroon, which was pretty awesome. And then uh, one of one of the girls I interviewed a few days prior, she's from Belimake. And then the, the our local fixer on my crew, he's from Belimake tribe. My goodness! And so it was it was awesome. Um, and then now when I meet Cameroonians, then they ask, well, well, "What region are you from?" And I'm like, "I don't know. I don't know. I don't know all that. I'm just excited to know the tribe name." But I, I don't think the the records will get that granular to, to know no. exactly what part. But it makes sense, too, because these tribes have been nomading. And like you found out, too, like after the colonial period is when all these countries came to be and stated. But I feel right. like that is pretty cool that you got to even identify the group of folks from your maternal DNA. So what can you tell us about the Belimike people? Like what what is the culture? Well, the culture is that they are the, the entrepreneurs, the business people, oh, the hustlers. Sounds about right. Like, Oh, <laughs> it's my people. <laughs> who who would have thunk it? <laughs> oh, I love yeah, that. Yeah, so that's cool to know that that's the common, you know, denominator, the common trait across the tribes. I'm like, that is me to my core. So that was that was pretty awesome to uh, reinforce what the test had revealed yeah. is like, you know, the, the cultural aspect, um, you know, also aligns with who I am. So that was pretty awesome. Um I still like have to go back and, and mm-hmm. on a Belimike tribe like focus trip because I was in, still in production mode, so I didn't get yeah. a chance to like dive further deeper into the uh, the aspects of the tribe locally. So that would be a return trip focus right there. Yeah, what a wonderful gift! Like, do you? I, I'm so curious. How does it feel for you knowing 
this? Did, did you feel like anything changed just for the experience for other African-Americans who might not have done it yet? Yeah, you know, it, it reinforces the, the 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 confidence I already had in myself, but then it's just that that identifier when I do meet people that are from the continent or um, or even when I just meet Cameroonians, it's like, oh, yeah. I'm, I'm Cameroonian as well. And that gives a sense of like identity and knowing, uh, you know, knowledge of self. You know, I never subscribed to that, you know, black people life started with, with slavery. I always knew that there's this beautiful, wonderful place called Africa where we come from. And so to be able to identify, pinpoint like this is exactly where. Uh, I remember when I first went to South Africa, that was my first country. It was like, oh, wow, I wonder if if, if I uh, if my ancestors are from South Africa, yeah. which was like, it's, it's an exciting, you know, um, idea to to fantasize about. But then to actually know, OK, at least, you know, to know like on this side of my family or myself that, you know, I'm Cameroonian. That's pretty exciting to like lock in and know that that's that's who I am. And then, um, you know, even when I see like images of, of Cameroonians or the flag, I'm like, OK, that's that's me right there. Totally. I feel like it's so important to know who you are to understand also where you're going. It's such a beautiful exactly. thing. In Sierra Leone, where I'm from, so Sierra Leone, the capital city is called Freetown because it's where the slaves from the U.S. that returned came and they were able to be free. And Sierra Leone is known as a country that accepted folks from all over West Africa, Africa, the Caribbean, et cetera. And we hold that with a lot, a lot of pride. And we also have lots of African-Americans coming back to discover their ancestry. And I think it's such a meaningful thing. So I'm glad you got to do it and want to encourage other folks listening to do it as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's amazing. Our West African relative now. Um, and Nate, the other thing I love about your show is that you really emphasize the connection with the people and the culture, which I, I love saying that we Africans have swag, something we Africans got. And I love seeing that come through in your show. You meet a lot of the entrepreneurs who are doing, who are really promoting the local economy and, and really proud in what they do. Uh, and I would say also I'm a big travel fan. And one of my favorite things is being able to connect with other people and cultures and just understanding and learning from one another and one another's stories. I'm curious how you have found what success you've found in connecting with other people in your travels and their cultures. Well, that's what, what pushes me on all my travels. You know, the world is, is I'm like a kid in the candy store because yeah. I love just discovering the differences of, of, of all these different tribes and personalities and people. And, you know, it's like, I, I have a thirst for something new. And so every person yeah. is, every person I meet is an opportunity to meet, to get a new experience, you know? So I always cherish every encounter with people and give a listening ear. And, and, and I'm always curious too, you know, to understand people's stories or anything people, you know, talk about, you know, or, um, I remember, I was in, I was in South Africa with the Zulus, and then we went to um, like a, a little, a little um, area where they had different stalls where they were selling food. And then I was eating the food, and I'm like, "So this is this is like a Zulu tradition? Y'all been doing this for thousands of years?" He was like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "This is so cool! Like that they like this is something that they just this is what they've been doing since the beginning of time, or you know, since it came into the culture." And to be able to participate in that and experience it, and then for them to just, just nonchalantly just say, "Yeah, this is what we do," and I'm like, "Wow, I'm experiencing some Zulu culture," or, 
um, you know, even in West Africa with the the, the Chui people and mm-hmm. uh, people that speak Chui. In Ghana. In, in I Ghana. I still can't say that. You're doing a great job. Chui, I think. But yeah. I know I'm missing it somehow. <laughs> yeah, it, it took a while. It took a while. But just like, and then the, just the, with the um, the Ashanti people and the drums and and just um, and just seeing, like, even with our local crew, yeah. we had people that met for the first time uh, working together. And just seeing how they just like naturally connected, but within the just that that culture. So it's similar to like when I went to Tennessee State University and met all these people from across the United States, and we connected and and then was like curious and entertained by our, our geographical differences. But it was like the similar experience, but just for Africans in Ghana, which was which was quite quite fascinating. So totally, it's um you know I just I just love meeting new people. And learning new things, everybody is opportunity to learn some t- to gain some type of wisdom and insight. So I'm I'm always a sponge, and 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 Africa has billions of people, so it's it's a whole adventure on that continent across 54 countries. Absolutely, I think building on that, one of my favorite things to do is also meet people that are, for instance, my age, and just learning about their journeys and seeing that while we may have different lives, our values are often so, so similar. Like we all care about our family and maybe something we're working toward that we're passionate about. And we may all value delicious food or whatever activity we're interested. And it's such a beautiful way to bring people together. And I think just builds such compassion. Yeah, it is. um, You know, it's it's a human connecting, you know, connecting aspect, a a human connector, uh, because Sometimes you could be in those different countries and you don't you don't speak the same language, but just right. even nonverbal gestures or movement or just signs, you know, connect mm-hmm. you to people. And it's just it's uh it's fascinating to experience. And then uh, I've I've definitely connected with people and then with the help of Google Translate, yeah, always uh, <laughs> an application away to connect even further. <laughs> Me too. And even like a small thing like you attempting to pronounce tree correctly and just attempting to relate to the folks in their own language. Folks really appreciate things like that. The other thing about you, Nate, is you love adventure. And I'm so curious where did this adventure bug come from? You mentioned there was a mentor who challenged you to travel, but tell us more about that. Yeah. So when I was at Tennessee State University, Dr. Galen Hull, he wrote his autobiography that documented his travels to over 80 countries. And he gave me a copy, he signed it, he said, I challenge you to see more countries than me and become an entrepreneur. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I could do this, because growing up, my entire family, well, not the entire, but a, a, lot, a number of members of my family, including my mother, mm-hmm. would travel around I the world. I want to talk about your mom. She's yeah. a 74-year-old badass woman traveling with you all over the place, so I definitely want to talk about yeah. her. <laughs> yeah, she, she's 76 now. But, oh yeah, my gosh. Still, yeah. <laughs> she went with you to Antarctica just now. Right. We did in February. We, we hit our seventh continent together. Amazing. Okay. So tell yeah. me. So Dr. Keep... Hull, he, he challenged me. And I was like, oh, I could do this because my mother would, had traveled around the world going on missionary trips growing up with, with, with our mm. church. I had a few cousins that played basketball overseas. My uncle always would tell stories when he played in Lyon, France at family gatherings. And then I have a cousin who lives in Macau right now. He's been living overseas, I mean, since he graduated college. And he's about 10 years older than me. And um, and just a few other family members always traveling. So 
and it being traveling international wasn't far fetched for me. It was just something I put into the bucket that that's what adults do. And then when he challenged me, I was like, oh, I'm an adult. I can do this. And then I went off traveling. And then just me being having an adventurous spirit and being fearless, you know, the adventure travel sector of travel, like that's what I gravitated towards. And so um, so I can go to these places and do all these adventurous and crazy things and these different landscapes and foreign lands that, you know, are so different than the United States. I mean, you know, like I said, it's, it's a new experience. Sign me up. Yeah. And so the, the adventure travel component of, of life is something that um it just it, it just it satisfies me. It's my calling. It's something I just 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 love. So that's where the uh the adventure travel had come from. And it's amazing that you get to do what you love and getting to explore the world and learn while you're at it. Tell us about this Antarctica adventure with your mom. Yeah, we, we went to the White Continent. The White Continent? Way down below. I yeah, want to so. go to Antarctica very much. So I'm dying to hear more. <laughs> oh, it was, it's been on my, my to-do list forever. And and then when I, um, you know, as I started, tra I traveled with my mother. I call it bucket list with mom. I love that. I love that. I saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we, we've been um, to numerous countries around the world. And then, you know, to go to Antarctica is like the icing the icing on the cake is like the biggest adventure. And so she was, she was excited to go. So I asked her if she wanted to go and she was excited to yeah. go. And then she revealed to me that when she was a kid, my, her aunt, my great aunt, uh, was, um, was, was living with them at the time. And then she worked at a, a doctor's office and would bring home national geographic magazines. And yeah. she, one of them she read about, that's what she discovered Antarctica through a national geographic magazine. And I'm like, wow, like this is something that she probably dreamt about as a little girl. And then now, like, she's in Ant I can take it to Antarctica. So that was pretty cool to be able to provide, like, had that full circle moment for my mother. Um, then I had no, I, I had no idea that, you know, she, that was even on her radar. Um, and then, you know, sometimes you, like, think of things and then you, like, oh, that's far-fetched and you just put mm -hmm. it off. And then, then it's almost like dusting off an old book and it's like, <laughs> and it's yeah. like, oh, we were going to Antarctica. And it was, it was, it was an amazing trip. Yeah, so when you, you what we did is we flew there uh, from Punta Arenas, flight, Chile. Right? Well, the, the, it's a journey. So you, you right, fly, we flew journey. to Santiago, Chile. So that's an overnight nine-hour flight, I think, from, from Houston. And then we spent a few nights there, and then we flew down to Punta Arenas, which is like a two-and-a-half-hour flight to the mm -hmm. bottom of Chile. We stayed the night there, and then we flew to, to, to the Fry Station. It's a Chilean research station on the on the fry island and then we, we uh, landed there and then we boarded our our boat via zodiac we got, uh -huh. the, we got to the beach and then the shore and then we got on the zodiac and it took us to the ship and we boarded the ship and for wow. the next five nights we um we slept on this ship and sailed around the antarctica peninsula wow spectacular how much does it cost these days to go to antarctica well, the prices vary. So I did a we did a fly in sale. So since we flew to um, Antarctica, uh, we eliminated the two two day crew one way voyage across the Drake Passage. Uh -huh. So if you did the, the 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 ship the voyage, you can get a cheaper price, like under ten thousand, okay. maybe like between seven to ten thousand dollars. But then we did the fly and sail. So I think that trip, that was like probably like at least 15 and a half, 16,000. 
per person because there's that flight. And then you say yeah. time. So the sailing trips, they range from 10 to 14 days. And our trip was done in eight days. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. All right. So it's definitely something we need to save for, but worth it. Oh, yeah. It's definitely worth it because I, I saw another influencer. She had made a post and she said that there's like 8 billion people on the planet. Yeah. And then that season, only 100,000 people visited Antarctica. So mm -hmm. she was, including, you know, we were part of the point zero zero two five one something percentage <laughs> of people to visit Antarctica. So it's um, it's definitely worth it. You'll be in a, a class. A that, very elite group of people. A very elite group of people <laughs> that. You know, like if you start, if you go into a room and meet 10 other people that said they went to Antarctica, I'd be like, this is like winning the lotto. <laughs> right, right. And then what, what do you get to do? You travel, I'm sure like you learn about like climate, things like that. What else? Well, there's more, you have two landings. So in the morning you'll do a landing um, and go let, so the first landing we went to an island. And then we explored the island, like seeing the penguins, the wildlife. Look, then some people had the opportunity to do a, a snowshoe hike to a higher elevation. Mm. And then we, so we wow. spent like an hour, hour and a half on that island. And then you come back to the boat and then you have lunch and they sail to another, a different island or a different location because it's all weather dependent. So they have mm. probably like a, a, a list of, of places where we could potentially uh, do a, do an excursion. And then based on the weather, that will like let the crew know if, if um, it's safe enough for us to go and do the landing. So we had amazing weather where everything that they had planned <laughs> happened. And um, and what and so time of year was that for the amazing weather? This was February, but it, it could be, you know, our week could be great. And then the week before mm -hmm. it could be terrible. So it's just so just lucky. It's, it's very volatile. It's, it's, <laughs> it's very volatile down there. And that's why they say they continually to emphasize this is the plan, but it's Antarctica. So we can't make any promises. So we just wait, how cold was it, Nathan? Well, in between well, February toward like our winter is their summer. So okay. it was it was like 35 degrees. OK, so not Fahrenheit. Not, right. Very right. But not yeah. as like horrible as I I would no, imagine no. in the summer. We had these summer. big Canada goose jackets, and we were we were fine. But if yeah. you had like a, like a Parker and like another fleece under it, just to have some layers, you would have been fine. Or like some guys that were from Minnesota, they were walking around with like their t shirt on on some landings. So you know, so it's just. It, but it was it was nice, especially when the sun is out. Mm -hmm. um and then i mean i even did the polar plunge where i jumped into the what? arctic water with, with just my, <laughs> my kabata swim trunks on right amazing and how many uh black owned first of all you're the only black owned surf brand and then let alone how many surf brands slash swimwear period can say they've been in antarctica right exactly you know elite class you know you gotta be <laughs> swimming the blue ocean the red oceans are too bloody but i like i like the blue peaceful oceans I love it. So my husband and I, we just came back from Norway and we did a bunch of hiking and cold plunging and it was cold. I feel like one of the fjords, we could only last like a minute and a half tops. How cold was your cold plunge in Antarctica? How long did you last? I was in there a few seconds because the, the water <laughs> temperature was, they said it was like 35 degrees and that's pretty cold. Right. And I, I, I surf in a wetsuit when it's 55 degrees, but but that 35, I was in and out. And then when you come out, they give you a shot of vodka to warm you up. 
<laughs> Beautiful. Amazing. Is that one of your top adventure moments you've had? Do you have others that you would share with us? Yeah, that's the top adventure. Another one is 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 hiking to the top of the Niragongo volcano in the Virunga National Forest in Congo, in the Democratic wow. Republic of Congo. So it was a five-hour hike to the top of this volcano. And then we um, we had dinner at the top of the volcano. The wow. porter cooked food, and they had this permanent cabin. So we spent the night and then woke up. He cooked breakfast. And then I was, like, drinking a cup of coffee, looking at a, a lava lake exploding you know in the in the in the crater of the at the top yeah. so yeah i had um that is very I, I always joke and say i had my my uh, dinner at the top of the niragago volcano is more more romantic than a dinner at the top of the tour de eiffel <laughs> I, exactly no the tour de eiffel is for definitely a tourist uh, location i wouldn't say it's so so romantic that is a very very cool so we know you love traveling adventurously and we, you mentioned fear potentially being something that could stop folks from traveling. So I wanted to get your thoughts as a travel blogger. You have this award-winning show on travel, et cetera. What would you say to folks who may feel a bit worried about traveling and, and exploring? How would you have them approach it? Well, that's, that's a great question. You know, I mean, the simple answer is you just have to, you have to get up and go because <laughs> life is short. And so it's like, do you want to sit in your living room or you want to go and have a new experience, you know? And then for, especially for my <laughs> people ask me, you know, as far as the fear aspect, I let them know I'm from, I'm from the South side of Chicago. And I mean, I'm, right. like if I could make it through South, you know, Chicago, I can go anywhere in the world. And, that, and that's my attitude is, you know, where I, I stay fearless is that I, uh, I've been prepared to, to see the signs and indicators and, and, um, and I've able to, I've been able to have like a very, um, a very like peaceful um, travel career, you know, I mm -hmm. mean, not to say that things don't happen, but I've been fortunate enough to where I don't, I don't um, share the, like the, the, the bad stories that I, that I read on social media or travel blog pages that um, some people had these, these bad encounters, etc. cetera. Um, not to say that it can't happen, but it's just that um, you just have to go and then figure it, you know, go and go and experience it. And plus as an American with our passport, you always have like that support, you know, the, you know, that the, if you get into a sticky situation, you have, you know, the, the force of the United States of America that will um, offer support, right. especially if you, if you haven't done anything wrong, if, you know, right. if you haven't broken any laws, et cetera, you do have that support with the different embassies and consulates in most countries that first time travelers would want to travel to a first time traveler isn't trying to go to, um, you know, like the, the jungle of, of, uh, the Amazon, right. <laughs> you right. know, most people are like on a, go to like more tourist places for the first or first few 10 times going out of the country before they, you know, want to get into like more the, the quote yeah. unquote more dangerous places. I've been to places that are considered dangerous, but I, I didn't have any sense of fear while I was there. And I deliberately wanted to go just so I can, you know, see what these places, you know, see what, see what the truth is because the media mm -hmm. will always paint places in a, in a negative light. And then you go, you're like, wait a minute, what's going on? This place is nice. <laughs> yeah, totally. 100%. I would say even as a coach, what I see with folks dealing with fear is it's, it's caused by some things that we've encountered in the past and requires kind of rewiring our brains to create a new pathway. And the only way to rewire our brains is doing exactly what you said, which is get up and go. And there's ways to do that in a way that feels safe in, for your situation. So what's the first step you can take 
Is it bringing your friends along with you, going to a safer location and just trying something, seeing that, you know what, this actually wasn't that bad, and then taking the next step and the next step and the next step. And to your point, you learn so much and you grow so much and it's always such a meaningful experience. So love that. Nate, I want to talk about another venture you're building. So you're the founder of A Great Day in the Stoke, which I am excited for you to tell folks all about. But before we do that, I wanted you to set the context. So A Great Day in the Stoke last year was the largest gathering of black surfers. And you're having another event this year in Huntington Beach in September. But want to talk about the history of surfing and swimming actually among the black community in the U.S. So can you set that context for us, please? Yeah. So in America, statistically, 70 percent of black people do not know how to swim. And if the parent. if another, So to be clear, y'all, that's seven zero seventy. Yeah, seven zero. And so uh, and then also even more daunting is that if the parent does not know how to swim, there's only a 13 percent chance that that their their child will learn how to swim. And then that um, six out of 10 black boys between the age of 11 and 12 will drown um, from from lack of having um, from lack of being able to to swim. And so, um, you know, this is. startling because I grew up in an all-black middle-class neighborhood and we all knew how to swim. We had a pool, we went swimming every day. So in my world, um, you know, every every black person knows how to swim. I took swimming lessons at Chicago State, um, even in Lake Michigan, you would see black people on the south side all up and down the lake. And then the projects was behind my grandmother's house and all, and that, that pool was filled with kids swimming every summer. So it wasn't until I got to college that I started hearing the narr- hearing the term Black people don't know how to swim. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, of course, black people know how to swim. And so after losing every single argument, time after time, I had to realize like, oh, this is true. And then mm-hmm. as I, as I, and in more and more recent years, when I started doing the research on the statistics that I just shared, it's like, wow, this is um, pretty daunting. And so a great day in the Stoke um, is a, is, is, is the purpose of it, it, it solves multiple purposes. I mean, it was um, an idea that came about to by for me attending paddle outs for like, um, mm-hmm. so paddle outs are what is like a historical Hawaiian tradition where surfers will paddle out into the ocean and form a circle and, and uh, a remembrance of, of a surfer that's passed away. So they'll bring flowers and throw it into the circle and they'll splash water up into the heavens in remembrance of them. And then so we were at, I would attend these paddle outs and then it would be the somber, sad, you know, tone at the beginning and people giving these speeches and super emotional. And then we would get then after the paddle out, getting, you know, everybody was socialized and the tone would shift. But I just got tired of coming to these things in reaction to somebody getting killed by the police. And I was like, we just need the opportunity to just celebrate our existence and just show up and just be in a spirit of like, hey, I'm here and I love to surf and I want to see other black people and and then it was the pandemic, so a lot of people hadn't met each other or even just heard people's like how people, you know, like just gave each other a hug or, you know, heard somebody smile or I mean, laugh. Mm-hmm. So it's like these simple things that we um, were taking away from us. We hadn't experienced those things in the surf community. So that's what a great day in the Stoke. Uh, that, that's like the number one problem is solving. And then also is that 
Um, you know, we want to have people see these images of black people surfing, which, which is a rep representation issue. And then also it changed the narrative of who and what a surfer looks like. And I also want it to be inspiring to where a little kid can say, oh, mom, I want to, I want to learn how to surf. And then the mother maybe may say, oh, black people, you know how to swim. And then, then the kid could be like, oh, look, you know, like, look at the great Dan Stove, it's black people surfing. And then it's like, oh, wow, well, I, I guess I was wrong. You know, like, let's get you some swimming lessons so you can get to learning how to surf. And, and we could, you know, and I want to use this event to be an impact to change that t statistic and, um, and reduce it by, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 percentage points over a period of time to where we can get more more black people to have to be able to experience the water, whether it be surfing, stand up paddle boarding, swimming, scuba diving, boogie boarding, uh, kayaking, like all these different, you know, water activities, uh, you know, even marine research, being marine biologists and just and, and that opens up a whole different career path and et cetera, because there's this relationship with the water and then we can eliminate this fear. And so that's what a great day in the Stoke will do too. And then thirdly, lastly, it will, it, we, we want to be able to like usher in the next black professional surf champion and, and more black competitive surfers. And so that's what that our goal is as well by like bringing up, creating the training day so we can help facilitate the, um, the, um, the elevation of the quality of the, the competitive surfers and be able to have a programming to where we can help subsidize the cost to where these kids can get the, the training that they need to become elite and then, and then make it to take it to the next level. Love the mission. What would a little black child in New York City, for instance, who's not in California, that is interested in surfing, how, what path would you recommend their parent take to nurturing this interest for them? Well, in New York, in Rockaway Beach, you can surf. I know, I know. So they are, they are, <laughs> there are some surf on the East Coast. It may not be as good as California, but there, wherever there's a coast, there's going to be some, some waves. And so they, and there, there are, you know, um, communities all over, whether it be these affinity groups that are, are black led groups that are focused on uh, providing um, less swim lessons or even to, mm -hmm. to surf lessons. And so there, um, so there's a, a group of black surfers in Rockaway Beach. Um, I forget the gentleman's name, but he has a, he has a black surf. He has a, he has a surf shop in Rockaway Beach. So that'd be a good place to start in New York city. Um, even just, um, getting involved with the, um, the lifeguards, like junior lifeguards as well, just to be able to, um, have that relationship with the, with the water. And, um, mm -hmm. and, and just knowing that you could have a career as a lifeguard, you know, lifeguards in California make six figures. And you know, wow. realize that, like, yeah. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, <laughs> life, life, you know, I'm like, you lifeguards, like, yeah. Life like on the beach? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, lifeguards. Make, I, that makes sense. You're saving lives. Yeah. So, lifeguards makes, make money. like, that's good. Yeah. You could definitely, as you know, in the marine marine safety field that you you definitely have a career it's not a minimum wage job people are making six figures as lifeguards beautiful and so just beautiful. even educating well, people on on that that financial benefit of it as well especially if somebody loves the water and it's not doesn't have to just be put into the box of a hobby but it could be a, mm -hmm. a definitely a career path what are any other career paths adjacent to the water and swimming like Obviously, you could be a professional swimmer, a professional surfer, which takes time and effort and dedication and all of that. 
lifeguard, anything else I'm missing? They're, they're biology, like a marine biologist, um, right. you know, concern, right. you know, like ocean conservancy. They're like, there's activists that are, you know, concerned about the ocean mm -hmm. and, and because, you know, like the development along coastal, coastal lines, there's always that battle of mm -hmm. developers wanting to develop and create this, this sell high profit, high margin real estate. And then there's the battle of the people that want to conserve these, these ocean, ocean, um, <clears throat> these coastal areas so they can be, you know, protected so that if the environment can thrive because of, you know, rising sea levels and all these, this environmental impact to, to the, to earth. So, I yeah, mean, there, there are, and, and these, these, are, and there's probably more careers I'm just not aware of yet. Um, you know, cause the majority of earth is water. So I'm pretty sure there's, um, yeah, plenty of careers, plenty of career paths out there. As a water baby myself, I'm all about this and excited to inspire next future generations into the space as well. Uh, Nate, you are also the co-founder, we touched on this briefly, of Cavada Swimwear. And you, I love that you founded this in your sister's name. Your sister passed away from triple negative breast cancer and 10% of proceeds go toward breast cancer research, TNBC research. And I just bring this up briefly to mention, you're a man of many projects, Nate. And I wanted to talk about and just get your insight on how, like, what are you finding effective in how you juggle all of this? So you have your TV show, you're doing a great day in the Stoke, you're doing Cavada. I'm sure you have family and other commitments. You're taking care of yourself. How do you do all of this? Oh, well, the, the simple answer is I don't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> you spend 28 hours in the 24 hour day. Yeah, that's a simple thing. Just don't go to sleep. You'll be fine. You can, you can, you can do anything you want, <laughs> but but for other folks like thinking, right, of starting their own thing and like juggling a lot of things, what have you found that works for you that you can share with them? Yeah, well, fortunately, the, um, the I don't uh, tackle everything all at the same time, but there also is this this crossover where they complement each other. So a great day in the Stoke is is adjacent to uh, Kabata Swimwear. And then me traveling, I can promote Kabata swimwear and, and go to destinations where I can surf, which is also reinforcing the narrative of black people surfing, which can promote a great day in the Stoke. So it's, um, it's all like, they, they're all tracking close to each other. But, but another mm -hmm. thing is just having a, the, a great team, you know, with my TV show, I have my production partner, uh, Michelle, uh, Protho, who is like a genius. And so having her um on on the team like you know takes all my stress away when it comes to the tv production and then with kabata yeah. you know i have um a great um partner with um with my uh, friend natasha and then my sales guy alan and then with the great dan and stoke i have a great team of charity liz and band and um i got ty um and my guy brandon so i have like a lot of support and help with the great dan and stoke and then I have um, a great mentor slash business partner who like overall is like, you know, just brilliant and in, in becoming and generating wealth. So I have a yeah. great team of, of uh, people that I lean on when I definitely don't have all the answers and I need support. And so right now it's just, um, I, you know, really just hiring the right people and then putting, putting the people, the team first and uh, taking care mm -hmm. of them. And then that um, that's what's has helped out a lot is that I haven't done this all by myself is that I have like a, yeah. a supporting cast 
who is um, smarter than me in a lot of areas that helps me succeed. Yeah, and hearing loud and clear in that delegating, because a lot of entrepreneurs want to do everything themselves and you're not letting yourself scale if you do that. So love that example, Nate. I want to end, Nate, on this question for you. You have lived in so many places and you obviously travel so much. What is home to you? Oh, well, I, I live in the world. <laughs> I live in the world. I just I vacation it. in LA. <laughs> I love it. Okay. No, but so you feel at home everywhere you travel? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I'm at heart. I'm a nomad, but, um, mm -hmm. but it, cause it's like, I, I love being away from home, but when I do come back to LA, I, I definitely enjoy like being, being in LA, um, you know, having time to spend carving out time to sit on my sofa and, whether it be to sit there or catch up on all the shows that people are raving about on social media or just being able to go surfing at my local surf break or just see my cousins that live in LA. So LA is always going to be like, as far as like a traditional home for me, but anywhere I go, yeah. um, you know, I'm, I, I feel at home. I'm, I'm, I'm in Miami right now at, at my friend's place and, you know, catch, catching up with him. So he's like a brother and, you know, this is this is like yeah. home right here. You know, where I know this is a yeah. place where I'm always welcomed, and um, and I think that's the that's the most important thing is having those spaces and those friends where you know you're always going to be welcomed to um, come. And you know, I extend that same same courtesy when people come. You know, come to LA. If I'm there, if I'm not there or not, it's like, hey, you coming to LA? It's like, well, let me know if I'm there. If I'm not there, you can still stay in my place. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, make it make it convenient, and always make my home a home away from home for for others. What a great note to end on the people and the community, Nate. I had so much fun getting to catch up with you. Thanks for coming on. Thank Wishing you all the success. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, and if you like what you hear, leave a review and share.